0: Section sixteen of the Chawan by Honore de Balzac. This Librivax recording is in the public domain. Chapter Three, Part Six. Mademoiselle de Vernoille met no one on her way, neither blues nor chouan. Seeing the column of blue smoke which was rising from the half-ruined chimney of galop chopin's melancholy dwelling her heart was seized with a violent palpitation the rapid sonorous beating of which rose to her throat in waves she stopped rested her hand against a tree and watched the smoke which was serving as a beacon to the foes as well as to the friends of the young chieftain never had she felt such overwhelming emotion ah i love him too much she said with a sort of despair to-day perhaps i shall no longer be mistress of myself she hurried over the distance which separated her from the cottage and reached the courtyard the filth of which was now stiffened by the frost the big dog sprang up barking but a word from Chopin silenced him and he wagged his tail as she entered the house marie gave a look which included everything the marquis was not there she breathed more freely and saw with pleasure that the chouan had taken some pains to clean the dirty and only room in his hovel he now took his duck gun bowed silently to his guest and left the house followed by his dog marie went to the threshold of the door and watched him as he took the path to the right of his hut from there she could overlook a series of fields the curious openings to which formed a perspective of gates for the leafless trees and hedges were no longer a barrier to a full view of the country when the chouan's broad hat was out of sight mademoiselle de venouille turned round to look for the church at fougere but the shed concealed it she cast her eyes over the valley of the which lay before her like a vast sheet of muslin the whiteness of which still further dulled a grey sky laden with snow it was one of those days when nature seems dumb and noises absorbed by the atmosphere therefore though the blues and their contingent were marching through the country in three lines forming a triangle which drew together as they neared the cottage the silence was so profound that mademoiselle de venouille was overcome by a presentiment which added a sort of physical pain to her mental torture misfortune was in the air at last in a spot where a little curtain of wood closed the perspective of gates she saw a young man jumping the barriers like a squirrel and running with astonishing rapidity it is he she thought the gar was dressed as a chouan with a musket slung from his shoulder over his goatskin and would have been quite disguised were it not for the grace of his movements marie withdrew hastily into the cottage obeying one of those instinctive promptings which are as little explicable as fear itself the young man was soon beside her before the chimney where a bright fire was burning both were voiceless fearing to look at each other or even to make a movement one and the same hope united them the same doubt it was agony it was joy monsieur said mademoiselle de vanille at last in a trembling voice your safety alone has brought me here my safety he said bitterly yes she answered so long as i stay at your life is threatened and i love you too well not to leave it i go to-night leave me ah dear love i shall follow you follow me the blues dear marie what have the blues got to do with our love but it seems impossible that you can stay with me in france and still more impossible that you should leave it with me is there anything impossible to those who love ah true true all is possible have i not the courage to resign you for your sake what you could give yourself to a hateful being whom you did not love and you refuse to make the happiness of a man who adores you whose life you fill who swears to be yours and yours only hear me marie do you love me yes she said then be mine you forget the infamous career of a lost woman i return to it i leave you yes that i may not bring upon your head the contempt that falls on mine without that fear perhaps but if i fear nothing can i be sure of that i am distrustful who could be otherwise in a position like mine if the love we inspire cannot last at least it should be complete and help us to bear with joy the injustice of the world but you what have you done for me you desire me do you think that lifts you above other men suppose i bade you renounce your ideas your hopes your king who will perhaps laugh when he hears you have died for him while i would die for you with sacred joy or suppose i should ask you to send your submission to the first consul so that you could follow me to paris or go with me to america away from the world where all is vanity suppose i thus tested you to know if you loved me for myself as at this moment i love you to say all in a word if i wished instead of rising to your level that you should fall to mine what would you do hush marie be silent do not slander yourself he cried poor child i comprehend you if my first desire was passion my passion now is love dearest soul of my soul you are as noble as your name i know it as great as you are beautiful i am noble enough i feel myself great enough to force the world to receive you is it because i foresee in you the source of endless incessant pleasure or because i find in your soul those precious qualities which make a man forever love the one woman i do not know the cause but this i know that my love for you is boundless i know i can no longer live without you yes life would be unbearable unless you are ever with me ever with you ah marie will you not understand me you think to flatter me by the offer of your hand and name she said with apparent haughtiness but looking fixedly at the marquis as if to detect his inmost thought how do you know you would love me six months hence and then what would be my fate no a mistress is the only woman who is sure of a man's heart duty law society the interests of children are poor auxiliaries if her power lasts it gives her joys and flatteries which make the trials of life endurable but to be your wife and become a drag upon you rather than that i prefer a passing love and a true one though death and misery be its end yes i could be a virtuous mother a devoted wife but to keep those instincts firmly in a woman's soul the man must not marry her in a rush of passion besides how do i know that you will please me to-morrow no i will not bring evil upon you i leave Brittany," she said observing hesitation in his eyes i return to fougere now where you cannot come to me i can and if to-morrow you see smoke on the rocks of saint-sulpice you will know that i shall be with you at night your lover your husband what will you that i be to you i brave all ah alphonse you love me well she said passionately to risk your life before you give it to me he did not answer he looked at her and her eyes fell but he read in her ardent face a passion equal to his own and he held out his arms to her a sort of madness overcame her and she let herself fall softly on his breast resolved to yield to him and turned this yielding to great results staking upon it her future happiness which would become more certain if she came victorious from this crucial test but her head had scarcely touched her lover's shoulder when a slight noise was heard without she tore herself from his arms as if suddenly awakened and sprang from the cottage her coolness came back to her and she thought of the situation he might have accepted me and scorned me she reflected ah if i could think that i would kill him but not yet she added catching sight of Beaupier, to whom she made a sign which the soldier was quick to understand he turned on his heel pretending to have seen nothing mademoiselle de vanille re-entered the cottage putting her finger to her lips to enjoin silence they are there she whispered in a frightened voice who the blues ah must i die without one kiss take it she said he caught her to him cold and unresisting and gathered from her lips a kiss of horror and of joy for while it was the first it might also be the last then they went together to the door and looked cautiously out the marquis saw and his men holding the paths leading to the valley then he turned to the line of gates where the first rotten trunk was guarded by five men without an instant's pause he jumped on the barrel of cider and struck a hole through the thatch of the roof from which to spring upon the rocks behind the house but he drew his head hastily back through the gap he had made for hulot was on the height. his retreat was cut off in that direction the marquis turned and looked at his mistress who uttered a cry of despair for she heard the tramp of the three detachments near the house go out first he said you shall save me hearing the words to her all-glorious she went out and stood before the door the marquis loaded his musket measuring with his eye the space between the door of the hut and the old rotten trunk where seven men stood the gar fired into their midst and sprang forward instantly forcing a passage through them the three troops rushed towards the opening through which he had passed and saw him running across the field with incredible celerity fire fire a thousand devils you're not frenchmen fire i say called hulot as he shouted these words from the height above his men and Goudins fired a volley which was fortunately ill-aimed the marquis reached the gate of the next field but as he did so he was almost caught by who was close upon his heels the gar redoubled his speed nevertheless he and his pursuer reached the next barrier together but the marquis dashed his musket at Goudin's head with so good an aim that he stopped his rush it is impossible to depict the anxiety betrayed by marie or the interest of hulot and his troops as they watched the scene they all unconsciously or silently repeated the gestures which they saw the runners making the gar and goudin reached the little wood together but as they did so the latter stopped and darted behind a tree about twenty chouans, afraid to fire at a distance lest they should kill their leader rushed from the copse and riddled the tree with balls hulot's men advanced at a run to save goudin who being without arms retreated from tree to tree seizing his opportunity as the Chouans reloaded his danger was soon over hulot and the blues met him at the spot where the marquis had thrown his musket at this instant goudin perceived his adversary sitting among the trees and out of breath and he left his comrades firing at the Chouans who had retreated behind a lateral hedge slipping round them he darted towards the marquis with the agility of a wild animal observing this manoeuvre the Chouans set up a cry to warn their leader and having fired on the blues and their contingent with the gusto of poachers they boldly made a rush for them but hulot's men sprang through the hedge which served them as a rampart and took up bloody revenge the Chouans then gained the road which skirted the fields and took to the heights which hulot had committed the blunder of abandoning before the blues had time to reform the Chouans were entrenched behind the rocks where they could fire with impunity on the republicans if the latter made any attempt to dislodge them while hulot and his soldiers went slowly towards the little wood to meet goudin the men from fougeres busied themselves in rifling the dead Chouans and dispatching those who still lived in this fearful war neither party took prisoners the marquis having made good his escape the Chouans and the blues mutually recognized their respective positions and the uselessness of continuing the fight so that both sides prepared to retreat ha ha cried one of the fougere men busy about the bodies here's a bird with yellow wings and he showed his companions a purse full of gold which he had just found in the pocket of a stout man dressed in black what's this said another pulling a breviary from the dead man's coat communion bread he's a priest cried the first man flinging the breviary on the ground here's a wretch cried a third finding only two crowns in the pocket of the body he was stripping a cheat," but he's got a fine pair of shoes said a soldier beginning to pull them off you can't have them unless they fall to your share said the fougere man dragging the dead feet away and flinging the boots on a heap of clothing already collected another chouan took charge of the money so that lots might be drawn as soon as the troops were all assembled when hulot returned with goudin whose last attempt to overtake the guard was useless as well as perilous he found about a score of his own men and thirty of the contingent standing around eleven of the enemy whose naked bodies were thrown into a ditch at the foot of the bank soldiers cried hulot sternly i forbid you to share that clothing form in line quick commandant said a soldier pointing to his shoes at the points of which five bare toes could be seen on each foot all right about the money but those boots motioning to a pair of hobnailed boots with the butt of his gun would fit me like a glove do you want to put english shoes on your feet retorted hulot but said one of the fougere men respectfully we've divided the booty all through the war i don't prevent you civilians from following your own ways replied hulot roughly here goudin here's a purse with three louis said the officer who was distributing the money you have run hard and the commandant won't prevent your taking it hulot looked askance at goudin and saw that he turned pale it's my uncle's purse exclaimed the young man exhausted as he was with his run he sprang to the mound of bodies and the first that met his eyes was that of his uncle but he had hardly recognized the rubicund face now furred with blue lines and seen the stiffened arms and the gunshot wound before he gave a stifled cry exclaiming let us be off commandant the blues started hulot gave his arm to his young friend god's thunder he cried never mind it is no great matter but he is dead said Gudin. dead he was my only relation and though he cursed me still he loved me if the king returns the neighbourhood will want my head and my poor uncle would have saved it what a fool goudin is said one of the men who had stayed behind to share the spoils his uncle was rich and he hasn't had time to make a will and disinherit him the division over the men of fougeres rejoined the little battalion of the blues on their way to the town towards midnight the cottage of Galop chopin hitherto the scene of life without a care was full of dread and horrible anxiety barbette and her little boy returned at the supper hour one with her heavy burden of rushes the other carrying fodder for the cattle entering the hut they looked about in vain for Chopin. the miserable chamber never looked to them as large so empty was it the fire was out and the darkness the silence seemed to tell of some disaster barbette hastened to make a blaze and to light to Orebus a name given to candles made of pitch in the region between the villages of amerique and the upper loire and still used beyond amboise in the vent districts barbette did these things with the slowness of a person absorbed in one overpowering feeling she listened to every sound deceived by the whistling of the wind she went off into the door of the hut returning sadly she cleaned two beakers filled them with cider and placed them on the long table now and again she looked at her boy who watched the baking of the buckwheat cakes but did not speak to him the lad's eyes happened to rest on the nails which usually held his father's duck gun and barbette trembled as she noticed that the gun was gone the silence was broken only by the lowing of a cow or the splash of the cider as it dropped at regular intervals from the bung of the cask the poor woman sighed while she poured into three brown earthenware porringers a sort of soup made of milk biscuit broken into bits and boiled chestnuts they must have fought in the field next to the barondiere said the boy go and see replied his mother the child ran to the place where the fighting had as he said taken place in the moonlight he found the heap of bodies but his father was not among them and he came back whistling joyously having picked up several five-franc pieces trampled in the mud and overlooked by the victors his mother was sitting on a stool beside the fire employed in spinning flax. he made a negative sign to her and then ten o'clock having struck from the tower of saint leonard he went to bed muttering a prayer to the holy virgin of aure at dawn, barbette who had not closed her eyes Gave a cry of joy as she heard in the distance a sound she knew well of hobnailed shoes, and soon after Galop Chopin's scowling face presented itself, thanks to Saint Labre he said to whom I owe a candle. The gar is safe. Don't forget that we now owe three candles to the saint. He seized a beaker of cider and emptied it at a draught without drawing breath when his wife had served his soup and taken his gun, and he himself was seated. On the wooden bench, he said, looking at the fire. I can't make out how the blues got here. The fighting was at Florigny. Who the devil could have told them that the gar was in our house? No one knew it, but he and the handsome garce, and we barbette turned white. They made me believe they were the gar of Saint Georges. She said, trembling, It was I who told them the gar was here. Galob Chopin turned pale himself and dropped his porringer on the table i sent the boy to warn you said barbette frightened didn't you meet him the chouan rose and struck his wife so violently that she dropped pale as death upon the bed you cursed woman he said you have killed me then seized with remorse he took her in his arms barbette he cried barbette holy virgin my hand was too heavy do you think she said opening her eyes that march à terre will hear of it the guard will certainly inquire who betrayed him will he tell it to Marcharter? Marcharter and pille were both at florigny barbette breathed a little easier if they touch a hair of your head she cried i'll rinse their glasses with vinegar ah i can't eat said galop chopin anxiously his wife set another pitcher full of cider before him but he paid no heed to it two big tears rolled from the woman's eyes and moistened the deep furrows of her withered face listen to me wife to-morrow morning you must gather faggots on the rocks of st to the right and st leonard and set fire to them that is a signal agreed upon between the guard and the old rector of st Georges, who is to come and say mass for him is the guard going to fougere yes to see his handsome Garce, i've been sent here and there all day about it i think he's going to marry her and carry her off for he told me to hire horses and have them ready on the road to st malo thereupon gallop chopin who was tired out went to bed for an hour or two at the end of which time he again departed later on the following morning he returned having carefully fulfilled all the commissions entrusted to him by the gar finding that marche and terre and had not appeared at the cottage he relieved the apprehensions of his wife who went off reassured to the rocks of saint-sulpice where she had collected the night before several piles of faggots now covered with hoarfrost the boy went with her carrying fire in a broken wooden shoe hardly had his wife and son passed out of sight behind the shed when gallop chopin heard the noise of men jumping the successive barriers and he could dimly see through the fog which was growing thicker the forms of two men like moving shadows it is marchaterre and pillamiche he said mentally then he shuddered the two chouans entered the courtyard and showed their gloomy faces under the broad-brimmed hats which made them look like the figures which engravers introduce into their landscapes good morning galop chopin said marchaterre gravely good morning monsieur marchaterre replied the other humbly will you come in and drink a drop i've some cold buckwheat cake and fresh-made butter that's not to be refused cousin said the two Chouans entered the cottage so far there was nothing alarming for the master of the house who hastened to fill three beakers from his huge cask of cider while Marchatter and pigamiche sitting on the polished benches on each side of the long table Cut the cake and spread it with the rich yellow butter from which the milk spurted as the knife smoothed it. Caleb Chopin placed the beakers full of frothing cider before his guests, and the three chouans began to eat. But from time to time, the master of the house cast sidelong glances at March as he drank his cider. Lend me your snuff box, said Machatere to Piyamish, having shaken several pinches into the palm of his hand the breton inhaled the tobacco like a man who is making ready for serious business it is cold said pyamiche rising to shut the upper half of the door the daylight already dim with fog now entered only through the little window and feebly lighted the room and the two seats the fire however gave out a ruddy glow gallop chopin refilled the beakers but his guests refused to drink again and throwing aside their large hats looked at him solemnly their gestures and the look they gave him terrified Galop chopin who fancied he saw blood in the red woolen caps they wore fetch your axe said marchataire but monsieur marchataire what do you want it for come cousin you know very well said pyamiche pocketing his snuff-box Which marchataire returned to him you are condemned the two rose together and took their guns monsieur marcheterre i never said one word about the gar i told you to fetch your axe said marcheterre the hapless man knocked against the wooden bedstead of his son and several five-franc pieces rolled on the floor piomiche picked them up ho ho the blues paid you in new money cried marcheterre as true as that's the image of saint said Galop chopin i have told nothing barbette mistook the fougere men for the gare of st georges and that's the whole of it why do you tell things to your wife said marchater roughly besides cousin we don't want excuses we want your acts you are condemned at a sign from his companion tiamiche helped marchater to seize the victim finding himself in their grasp Chopin lost all power and fell on his knees holding up his hands to his slayers in desperation my friends my good friends my cousin he said what will become of my little boy i will take charge of him said marchater my good comrades cried the victim turning livid i'm not fit to die don't make me go without confession you have the right to take my life but you've no right to make me lose a blessed eternity that is true said marchater addressing piyamiche the two jouants waited a moment in much uncertainty unable to decide this case of conscience Chopin listened to the rustling of the wind as though he still had hope suddenly piyamiche took him by the arm into a corner of the hut confess your sins to me he said and i will tell them to a priest of the true church and if there is any penance to do i will do it for you gallop chopin obtained some respite by the way in which he confessed his sins but in spite of their number and the circumstances of each crime he came finally to the end of them cousin he said imploringly since i am speaking to you as i would to my confessor i do assure you by the holy name of god that i have nothing to reproach myself with except for having now and then buttered my bread on both sides and i call on saint labre who is there over the chimney-piece to witness that i have never said one word about the gar. no my good friends i have not betrayed him very good that will do cousin you can explain all that to god in course of time but let me say good-bye to barbette come said marge hater if you don't want us to think you worse than you are behave like a breton and be done with it the two chouans seized him again and threw him on the bench where he gave no other sign of resistance than the instinctive and convulsive motions of an animal uttering a few smothered groans which ceased when the axe fell the head was off at the first blow marcheterre took it by the hair left the room sought and found a large nail in the rough casing of the door and wound the hair about it leaving the bloody head the eyes of which he did not even close to hang there the two jouants then washed their hands without the least haste in a pot full of water picked up their hats and guns and jumped the gate whistling the ballad of the captain the Yamish began to sing in a hoarse voice as he reached the field the last verses of that rustic song their melody floating on the breeze at the first town her lover dressed her all in white satin at the next town her lover dressed her in gold and silver so beautiful was she that gave her veils to wear in the regiment the tune became gradually indistinguishable as the chouan got further away but the silence of the country was so great that several of the notes reached barbette's ear as she neared home holding her boy by the hand a peasant woman never listens coldly to that song so popular is it in the west of france and barbette began unconsciously to sing the first verses come let us go my girl let us go to the war let us go it is time brave captain let it not trouble you but my daughter is not for you you shall not have her on earth you shall not have her at sea unless by treachery the father took his daughter he unclothed her and flung her out to sea the captain wiser still into the waves he jumped and to the shore he brought her come let us go my girl let us go to the war let us go it is time at the first town her lover dressed her etc etc as barbette reached this verse of the song where pia had begun it she was entering the courtyard of her home her tongue suddenly stiffened she stood still and a great cry quickly repressed came from her gaping lips what is it mother said the child walk alone she cried pulling her hand away and pushing him roughly you have neither father nor mother the child who was rubbing his shoulder and weeping suddenly caught sight of the thing on the nail his childlike face kept the nervous convulsion his crying had caused but he was silent he opened his eyes wide and gazed at the head of his father with a stupid look which betrayed no emotion then his face brutalized by ignorance showed savage curiosity Barbette again took his hand grasped it violently and dragged him into the house empillamiche and marcheteire threw their victim on the bench one of his shoes dropping off fell on the floor beneath his neck and was afterwards filled with blood it was the first thing that met the widow's eye take off your shoe said the mother to her son put your foot in that good remember she cried in a solemn voice your father's shoe never put on your own Without remembering how the Chouan filled it with his blood and kill the Chouan, she swayed her head with so convulsive an action that the meshes of her black hair fell upon her neck and gave a sinister expression to her face. I call Saint Labre to witness, she said, that I vow you to the blues. You shall be a soldier to avenge your father. Kill, kill the Chouan, and do as I do. Ha! they've taken the head of my man and i'm going to give that of the gar to the blues she sprang at a bound on the bed seized a little bag of money from a hiding-place took the hand of the astonished little boy and dragged him after her without giving him time to put on his shoe and was on her way to fougere rapidly without once turning her head to look at the home she abandoned when they reached the summit of the rocks of st sulpice babette set fire to the pile of faggots and the boy helped her to pile on the green gorse damp with hoar frost to make the smoke more dense that fire will last longer than your father longer than i longer than the gar said barbette in a savage voice while the widow of galop chopin and her son with his bloody foot stood watching the one with a gloomy expression of revenge the other with curiosity the curling of the smoke mademoiselle de vanille's eyes were fastened on the same rock trying but in vain to see her lover's signal the fog which had thickened buried the whole region under a veil its gray tints obscuring even the outlines of the scenery that was nearest the town she examined with tender anxiety the rocks the castle the buildings which loomed like shadows through the mist near her window several trees stood out against this blue-gray background the sun gave a dull tone as of tarnished silver to the sky its rays colored the bare branches of the trees where a few last leaves were fluttering with a dingy red but too many dear and delightful sentiments filled marie's soul to let her notice the ill omens of a scene so out of harmony with the joys she was tasting in advance for the last two days her ideas had undergone a change the fierce undisciplined vehemence of her passions had yielded under the influence of the equable atmosphere which a true love gives to life the certainty of being loved sought through so many perils had given birth to a desire to re-enter those social conditions which sanction love and which despair alone had made her leave to love for a moment only now seemed to her a species of weakness she saw herself lifted from the dregs of society where misfortune had driven her to the high rank in which her father had meant to place her her vanity repressed for a time by the cruel alternations of hope and misconception was awakened and showed her all the benefits of a great position born in a certain way to rank marriage to a marquis meant to her mind living and acting in the sphere that belonged to her having known the chances and changes of an adventurous life she could appreciate better than other women the grandeur of the feelings which make the family marriage and motherhood with all their cares, seemed to her less a task than a rest she loved the calm and virtuous life she saw through the clouds of this last storm as a woman weary of virtue may sometimes covet and illicit passion virtue was to her a new seduction perhaps she thought leaving the window without seeing the signal on the rocks of st sulpice i have been too coquettish with him but i knew he loved me francine it is not a dream to-night i shall be marquise de montran what have i done to deserve such perfect happiness oh i love him and love alone is love's reward and yet i think god means to recompense me for taking heart through all my misery he means me to forget my sufferings for you know francine i have suffered to-night marquise de montoran you marie ah until it is done i cannot believe it who has told him your true goodness dear child he has more than his handsome eyes to see me with he has a soul if you had seen him as i have in danger oh he knows how to love he is so brave if you really love him why do you let him come to Fougere? we had no time to say one word to each other when the blues surprised us besides his coming is a proof of love can i ever have proofs enough and now francine do my hair but she pulled it down a score of times with motions that seemed electric as though some stormy thoughts were mingling still with the arts of her coquetry as she rolled a curl or smoothed the shining plaits she asked herself with a remnant of distrust whether the marquis were deceiving her but treachery seemed to her impossible for did he not expose himself to instant vengeance by entering fougere while studying in her mirror the effects of a sidelong glance a smile a gentle frown an attitude of anger or of love or disdain she was sinking some woman's wile by which to probe to the last instant the heart of the young leader you are right francine she said i wish with you that the marriage were over this is the last of my cloudy days it is big with death or happiness oh that fog is dreadful she went on again looking towards the heights of sans which were still veiled in mist she began to arrange the silk and muslin curtains which draped the window making them intercept the light and produce in the room a voluptuous chiaroscuro francine she said take away those knick-knacks on the mantelpiece leave only the clock and two dresden vases i'll fill those vases myself with the flowers corentin brought me take out the chairs i want only this sofa i a found to you then sweep the carpet so as to bring out the colours and put wax candles in the sconces and on the mantel marie looked long and carefully at the old tapestry on the walls guided by her innate taste she found among the brilliant tints of these hangings the shades by which to connect their antique beauty with the furniture and accessories of the boudoir either by the harmony of colour or the charm of contrast the same thought guided the arrangement of the flowers with which she filled the twisted vases which decorated her chamber the sofa was placed beside the fire on either side of the bed which filled the space parallel to that of the chimney she placed on gilded tables tall dresden vases filled with foliage and flowers that were sweetly fragrant she quivered more than once as she arranged the folds of the green damask above the bed and studied the fall of the drapery which concealed it such preparations have a secret ineffable happiness about them they cause so many delightful emotions that a woman as she makes them forgets her doubts and mademoiselle de vanille forgot hers there is in truth a religious sentiment in the multiplicity of cares taken for one beloved who is not there to see them and reward them but who will reward them later with the approving smile these tender preparations always so fully understood obtain women as they make them love in advance for there are few indeed who would not say to themselves as mademoiselle de venouille now thought to-night i shall be happy that soft hope lies in every fold of silk or muslin insensibly the harmony the woman makes about her gives an atmosphere of love in which she breathes to her these things are beings witnesses she has made them the sharers of her coming joy every movement every thought brings that joy within her grasp but presently she expects no longer she hopes no more she questions silence the slightest sound is to her an omen doubt hooks its claws once more into her heart she burns she trembles she is grasped by a thought which holds her like a physical force she alternates from triumph to agony and without the hope of coming happiness she could not endure the torture a score of times did mademoiselle de vernouille raise the window-curtain hoping to see the smoke rising above the rocks but the fog only took a grayer tone which her excited imagination turned into a warning at last she let fall the curtain impatiently resolving not to raise it again she looked gloomily around the charming room to which she had given a soul and a voice asking herself if it were done in vain and this thought brought her back to her preparations francine she said drawing her into a little dressing-room which adjoined her chamber and was lighted through a small round window opening on a dark corner of the fortifications where they joined the rock terrace of the promenade put everything in order as for the salon you can leave that as it is she added with a smile which women reserve for their nearest friends the delicate sentiment of which men seldom understand ah how sweet you are exclaimed the little maid, A lover is our beauty, foolish women that we are, she replied gaily. Francine left her line on the ottoman and went away convinced that whether her mistress were loved or not, she would never betray of section sixteen